Perception. Architecture. Radio. Hello, welcome to Perception Architecture Radio. This is a podcast about the relationship between the mind, the body, belief systems, and reality. So it's more a show about perception than it is about architecture and how when we change our relationships with reality by deconstructing and reconstructing belief systems and cultural narratives, the reality we experience begins to change. So basically, anything to do with that and living better and becoming more you for the better of you and everyone else. That's mostly what this is about. I suppose more than anything, it's really me trying to understand myself better. And so as I do that, then maybe other people can learn some stuff too. Just figuring stuff out, really. Not that complicated. It'll be like one big, long, ongoing conversation. So thanks for your time. Thanks for being here. Thanks for getting involved. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Perception Architecture Radio. This is episode two, and this is going to be with really one of the best human beings around. Not that he's in competition with other people because everybody's like good in their own way. But I love him dearly. He's really been... It's like he's one of these guys where I think, like, every time I think I'm in some kind of crisis, it's like, what would George do? And then the answer kind of becomes obvious because he'll say something like, I don't really think it's that complicated. Why don't you just not do that thing that you're doing that's upsetting you? Or why don't you do the thing that you want to do? Or why don't you do the thing that's good? And it's like, oh, yeah, okay, well... When you put it like that, it makes a lot of sense. But somehow he has the ability to do that. When I say it in my own head, it's like, it's not quite as clear. So anyway, this episode is with him and it was a fantastic conversation. I think it went on for like longer than an hour and a half. And it was just a real pleasure chatting to George. So without any more waffling from me, we'll go to a bit of, what's the word? Bilateral waffling, bilateral, bilateral waffling, inter, what's the opposite? Not uni, uni waffling. It's something like bi-waffling, bi, a bi, a co, co-conspiratory bi-waffle, something like that. Uh, anyway, you can, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll just, we'll get stuck in because it's really good. And this is part one, so Enjoy. So, with me today is George Bertelstein, author of A Clear and Simple Prayer, Self-Healing and a Path of Unlimited Love, Peace and Happiness. George is also a relationship counselor and a leader of Medicine Path, the Native American church where he holds pipe and medicine ceremonies. This is a space where people can get together and work on their clear and simple prayers for their life. Do you think that would be the, the best way to describe it, more or less? I think that's an excellent way to describe it. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad I got my words right. So I met George several years ago, and I was quite, to be honest, I was quite captivated by this uh, awe of truth that you had. It was just like the things that you, you said were very, very clear and very direct, and there was just this feeling of something true and something very loving um, in that energy that was really very, very captivating for me, very uh, compelling. And I also did a little bit of counseling with George uh, around about that time, which helped me through one of the more difficult patches of my life. So 
George, welcome. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege to have you here and to be talking to you. So thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm honored. Very good. Excellent. So what I thought the idea with this podcast is that, well, basically I wanted to have your voice out there more because I think the more people hear it, the better the world's going to be. So uh, maybe if you can start by telling us a little bit of your background, how you got into the medicine, uh, how that kind of came about, and a little bit of your story, and then I'll get into the questions that I've been itching to ask. Okay. Um, we'll see. I got into the medicine world about, uh, about 30 years ago, and I came to it from a path of uh, all different kinds of meditation and, and different practices, Buddhist practice, a lot of study of Taoist philosophy and thought and um, chanting, praying, all kinds of things. And what I was looking for was something that really resonated for me excuse me, on a physical as well as a mental and emotional level. And I prayed a lot about that when I first started praying. I was about 38 when I started praying. I prayed when I was a kid and then let it go for many, many years. Mm. Through, uh, I'm a uh, veteran of the American War in Vietnam and uh, dealt with post-traumatic stress disorder and drug addiction and alcoholism and confusion and uh, around the time I was <clears throat> in my mid-30s, I started to come out of that and started to develop a wish to become a, a person that I liked instead of this person I didn't like. I think everybody pretty, pretty much knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> it, was, it was precipitated by um, meeting somebody, a woman who had a child who needed a dad. And so uh, I was utterly clueless as to how to be a parent and... Uh, I really realized that I had to completely change my, not just my, uh, my physical presence in the sense of being helpful and being relevant in the life of this child, but also had to change the way I was thinking about things because my thinking was very cynical and very, you know, I was full of sarcastic thoughts and ideas, opinions and preferences, things that really didn't serve me that are really useless around children. I mean, they don't even know what you're talking about. You know, children know anything about irony. They don't even, you know, irony, what's irony? <laughs> they don't anything about paradox. They don't know anything about these things that entertain adults, you know, and it's like mm -hmm. they need to be dealt with in a really straightforward and clear way and a loving way as well. So part of what caused me to pursue the path that I'm on now and have been for many years was, has been was my child, my stepdaughter. Um, I helped raise. I'm very proud of her. Very proud of my own participation in that. And if I had not found that there was a power that was greater than me that I could talk to and ask for help on a regular basis, I don't think I could have felt successful in doing that. I don't think I would have been a good dad. I don't. I don't think I would have been helpful or relevant. But that uh, that intention to be the best person, man, that I could be, the best dad I could be to someone who really needed me, mm -hmm. caused me to put a foot on this path. And then the next thing that happened was after all of these experiments with ways, all of which are very valid and contain extremely helpful information, but a lot of them are saddled in esoterica and in rules, like things are put in boxes. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, They're not really that accessible. One has to... Uh, run through, you know, 
jump through hoops or, or, you know, cross fire lanes or whatever to get to the help. And uh, what I was looking for was help that I could just ask for. And I found it in these uh, Native American ways. And I first came to them when I was 42. I went to a sweat lodge um, and was sort of tricked into going. I really didn't even know what it was. And I went and immediately I felt so much relief from uh, all my mental activity and all my emotional upset. Uh, felt like I was home for the first time. And mm -hmm. after that, I asked the woman who ran the sweat lodge, you know, what can I do this again? She said, well, why would you want to? I said, because I felt like I was home. I mean, seriously, this felt so familiar to me. And she said, yeah, sometimes that's, that's true. And so I started basically following her around and helping her and became a fire keeper. And that was the beginning of my process, which led to my current status, which is a spiritual leader of Medicine Path Native American Church in Berkeley, California. And we offer ceremony and counseling and places for people to come and learn how to make their life a little simpler and a little clearer um, right. so they can be happier. Okay. And so you mentioned there about the, you have to change your thinking. Mm -hmm. um, I guess for a lot of people out there, including myself, this is a, seems like an almost insurmountable task because it's like your thinking is going on all the time, all the time. So what was it? Was it uh, during the ceremonies that you, like how, how did you go about approaching that? That's a good question. Um, yeah, you just made me think about how that occurred. So what <laughs> happened was instead of me changing my thinking, my thinking was changed for me. Right. Okay, so instead of like, I'm not talking about an outside force manipulating my mind or anything like that. It was just that the thoughts that didn't serve me all fell away. And that what was left was just basically a very, um, a very strong but uh, undefined uh, structure, which was what was left over of my mind. So when all the thoughts that I had that didn't serve me dropped away, then all that was left was potential, you know, the potential to have what I wanted. So I, I really felt that. I mean, I felt it, and I and I and I I felt it emotionally, but also felt it intellectually like my mind felt free of a lot of things that i had been had accepted as being true about myself about the world about the nature of conflict about relationships in general it just all fell away to the point where there was a lot of emptiness and you know i'm sure as you know and most people are who, who you know are pursuing a spiritual path will chase emptiness around the world because that is the highest thing the highest thing is yeah. to dwelling on nothing you know and so you allow whatever it is to occur in present time in present moment and of course you know as i say in my book and many other people have said the essential truths of these spiritual paths are all the same everybody is teaching the same thing how they teach it how they approach it etc etc the truth is the truth the truth is is that we are actually making up what we think and that a lot of times we make up stuff that's very, very painful. It's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily false either, but we get to decide what it is we wish to think. So this is a, a very new thing. Uh, the reason is, is in Western culture, what we've believed is that, is that we are our thoughts. You know, we, yeah. we have become convinced that our thinking is what carries us through the world. It's like our thinking is what happens as we are carried through the world, which is a little bit different than what we suppose. 
So these people say, you know, we are actually inventing our reality. How we perceive of our reality can change in a minute, in a minute because it, it happens all the time. Mm. So something that we're attached to that we have believed is a central governing principle of our life. If, you know, if I could have 35 years of central governing principle and then all of a sudden in five minutes sitting in a hot sweat lodge, all those things fall away, then that's possible. And maybe you don't even necessarily have to go in a sweat lodge to do that. Right. Must me. How do you change these thoughts that don't serve you? How do you get different thoughts? How do you find thoughts that serve you? So that's a prayer. You know, it's like, I don't like the way I'm thinking. Please help me to get some better thoughts. Boom, you get some better thoughts. Right. And so you just, you just ask for it, basically. Yeah. And asking is the problem. I mean, for most people, because who are we talking to? We're talking to this guy here, right? It's like we're asking him to do something for us. He can only do what he knows how to do, right? He, he knows how to do this. He knows how to do that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, if there, if indeed, one is willing to consider that there is a power greater than ourselves that wishes us well, then we could just say, Hey, whatever you are, please help me. And, and that's what we're asking for. Yeah. This is interesting. See already, like I got a ton of spin-off questions from just what you've said. So I guess we're not going to get too far into the stuff that I wrote down. But, um, one of the, one of the things I wanted to come back to is this idea of the, the thoughts and the relationship with emotions. Like how do, because I, I find a lot of times that you can think a thought and it doesn't have necessarily a lot of emotional weight, but sometimes they do have a lot of emotional weight. And those are the things where I know for myself, I tend to get more stuck is like, I tend to identify with the feeling and then, I'll have a bunch of thoughts that spin off the feeling. So I was wanting to ask you, is it something like the thoughts are creating emotional states or is it more like you've got an emotional identification and then the thoughts kind of spin off to um, perpetuate that emotional identity or is that overthinking it? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you start to think about thinking, Okay, then you're going to understand thinking a lot better. It's not thinking about thinking that gets us in trouble. So we're just running. If our thoughts are just running, which they are, as everybody knows, they're running 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's what they do. Brains do that. Okay, mm -hmm. but, you know, brains just make stuff up. It's like some of it may have some basis in reality, but a lot of it is just having feelings about things that fear, okay, Fear is, is the primary emotion. It's like that's what runs people. You know, human beings are fear-based organisms for really good reason. It's like human beings are not fast. We are not particularly strong. We are not we, as ferocious as we think we are. We're really not that ferocious. Something has to occur to generate that ferocity. It's just not our nature. You know, we're not really very cunning. All the things that we might ascribe as power to other other kinds of animals, predatory animals, or the uh, amazing ways in which prey flee their predators. We're just not conditioned that way. We always, we have this neocortex, and the neocortex is making decisions for us. But mm -hmm. at the same time, things scare us. All kinds of things scare us. People we don't know scare us. People that are different than us scare us. Circumstances that are different scare us. Weather scares us. You know, we're scared of a lot of things for good reason. And then what our brain does is it starts to rationalize why we should or should not be afraid of a given thing. 
and then posit a solution or a set of solutions. A lot of times there's no solutions. If you're in a relationship with somebody and it's confusing, they don't know what they're doing, you don't know what you're doing, which is pretty familiar, okay. <laughs> then there's not much you, that you can do about anything except to have a bunch of thoughts about it. Hmm. So you start having thoughts about it. Some of your thoughts are going to be, you know, maybe accurate. Most of your thoughts are just going to be thoughts that are being generated, just like your thoughts about everything else. Hmm. So you know, what thoughts are you going to attach to? If you don't like the thoughts that you were thinking, then you could ask for help to get some better thoughts. Mm. So the thoughts and the emotions engender one another. It isn't that there's one thing and then it makes another thing happen. You can see how it gets to be a loop. So right. you know, yeah. the president of the United States, he's in a loop, man. The dude cannot stop. It's like he makes something up and then he makes something else up about the thing he made up. And he's, you know, and he's not, you know. And it's not, all out there on Twitter for people to see as well. <laughs> yeah, and so people go, but wait, but wait, but wait. And that's their logical mind trying to answer what they believe is his logical mind. There's no logical mind involved. He's showing you how we all are. He's making stuff up. So some of the stuff he's making up is quite upsetting and unpleasant for people who actually love human beings. Okay. But everybody's making stuff up. It's like, if you, if you love human beings, you can be a person who makes a bunch of stuff up too about how everybody who's not like you is bad. You see what I'm saying? We're all doing this. It's like, we're all trumping. So, you know, when we understand we're doing that, we can be much more loving and accepting of one another. We can choose better thoughts. So say, you know, my thoughts are all based on proving that this man is a, is a scumbag. It's just like, okay, if that's what you want to use your thoughts for, that's good. Except the feelings that are engendered when you rock around thinking somebody's a scumbag don't feel good. Mm. And they feel angrifying or they feel frightening or they feel, you know, like we're not connected or they make somebody else upset. And so what we're doing is we're trying to find a way where we can use our thoughts to promote peace and love. I'm not talking about, you know, love like gushy gushy love or everything's okay or it's all good love. It's just the love of understanding that we're, we're human beings and this mm -hmm. is our humanity. We're all doing the very best we can to find the thoughts and the behaviors that help us to engender what we want, which is love, kindness, compassion, patience, all these things that we really like that feel good. Yeah, I find that when I... Uh when I think about somebody as a scumbag, the person that kind of suffers the most is generally myself. It's like that kind of feeling of like the world is shrinking or something like that. Yeah. yeah and it's a feeling. So, you know, feelings are not in of themselves good or bad. It's like, do you like the feeling? Some mm -hmm. people like that feeling. They like being right. right. So, you know, somebody told me years ago, and I'm sure everyone has heard a variation on this. It's like, would you rather be, you know, angry and right, or would you rather be loving and loved? Well, most people would say, oh, I'd rather be loving and loved. But the truth is, being angry and right has its allure. It's a feeling, it, adrenaline, you know, adrenaline, which is the greatest drug known to humankind, you know, yeah, right. animals. It's like, it's so powerful. It makes us feel powerful. So, you know, you don't want to make yourself or anybody else wrong for the temptation, the allure of wanting to be angry and right. It just never ends. The problem is, is that, the only thing that's going to make you feel good again is to continue to be angry and right about whatever you think you're angry and right about. When you stop doing that and you obtain a little peace, then what happens is you start to feel good and you get addicted to feeling good, to feeling better as it were. So that's the path that leads you to making these clear and simple prayers. And I want to be liberated 
from the burden of my own thinking. I want to be liberated from the burden of my own ideas, opinions, and preferences that don't serve me. And I'm, I, I get to keep everything that I like. Mm. So it nice. puts it on us. It's like, well, yeah, okay, well, yeah, but is it, how's that working out for you? Yeah, right. When you tell me that story about you, of course, it's the same for me or anybody else. It's like, who's your worst enemy? It's you. You know, why are we our worst enemy? Because it's interesting. You know, it's like we can really beat the hell out of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. it's very right? compelling. And I think this, uh, the way you describe it, uh, and then you did describe it as being addicted to good thoughts and good feelings. But for sure, you, you notice this. It's almost like a kind of a, a gravitational pull, this addiction towards what can I get angry and upset about next? And then you just find yourself in a cycle of getting more and more angry and more and more upset. And it seems like this kind of, well, there is something in it for you somehow. It's like, cause you keep going back to it. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're scared, it's a feeling of power, isn't it? I mean, right. it's just like, you know, I feel very, very frustrated about something that's going on in the world. I actually feel very frustrated about many things that are going on in the world. But it's like when I get angry about it, that makes me temporarily powerful. I feel powerful. Am I actually affecting anything? No. I'm just walking around like this, you know, I'm angry. I'm upset. People are looking at me going, oh, there's an angry old man. It's just like right. angry old men are a dime a dozen. You know what I'm saying? Or angry old women too. So it's just like, you know, I don't want to be the person that feels that way. Mm. And I also don't want to be the person who walks out in the world. And everybody goes, oh, look, angry old man. It's like, that's a cliche, right? You know, I'd rather be the new archetype, which would be the happy old man, because that will promote more help for everybody. And, and I get the reflection of it. People see me smile, they smile back at me. And maybe they're not so scared of me because I'm old. You know, because everybody's scared of everything. We're scared of old people. We're scared of kids. We're scared of pretty people. We're scared of ugly people. We're scared of everybody. It's the way we are. You know, we're so scared of happy people as well. Instead sometimes. of pretending that's not so, we could just say, Jesus, I'm scared of everything. It's like, I think I'll just smile and see what happens. Yeah, because some, sometimes that if you see a person walking down the street and they're smiling, it's like, that's the odd one out. Like, that's the unusual person. So yeah. maybe that would be a cause for fear in some people, but. I think there's, uh, yeah, I certainly think it's a good thing to pursue for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're going to mystify people, it's probably better to mystify them with your happiness as opposed <laughs> to your amiable anger and rage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you say, what are you upset about? It's like, name it. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll go back now to one of the things you touched on was uh, this like the relationship with creator. And I, I know you're very big on this relationship with creator. And I think in today's world for, for non-religious people, that can be sometimes a contentious thing to consider or to contemplate. Um, and I was, I've been kind of thinking about this a lot lately because I, I don't specifically have one set of kind of dogmatic religious principles, but the idea of a creator is something that, that feels quite, resonant to me but it's it's more in the sense of um a creator personified uh, like a personification of creation itself as in uh the you know you're you're a product of your parents which are a product of their parents which are a product of all of the things that influence them and all of the things that influence the things that influence them and all of the the food that they ate and all of the the sunlight that came to grow the food and all the things that came together. So that, that seems to be creation 
in itself and maybe the way that we can think about it in a, in a simpler way is to personify it as, as creator. I mean, that's kind of the way that I was interpreting it. The problem, of course, is the semantic. It's like, what, you know, what's the mm. word that feels comfortable for you? It doesn't right. matter what the word is. I mean, you just gave a brilliant analysis of exactly what I believe to be true, which is that we're actually praying with creation. We are mm. creation. You know, we are not separate from it at all. And part of what we're doing when we acknowledge that we're a part of that is that we are invoking the system, the very system that created us, that, that made it possible for us to have this existence. And as you said, you know, we're invoking everything that pre-existed us, our ancestors, including one-celled organisms and whatever came before one-celled organisms, gases and heat, and whatever, as my wife says, the primal, primeval soup that we all emanated from you know it's a miracle so however you want to call it, if you want to think that there was some old guy with a beard that did all this that's not a problem you see what i'm saying it's like if you if you believe that there's an amorphous energy that's far greater than us some people call it the cosmos or the universe it doesn't matter but everybody really basically understands there is something that's more powerful than we are so when we argue about what it is then we get ourselves in trouble when we ask it for help, we're not in trouble. We're going to get some help. Mm. So it's like, it isn't even really faith. It's just like, I'm just going to do this thing here. The same way that you might go to a strange town and go to a coffee shop where you don't know if the coffee's any good and order a coffee anyways. You know, you just, you know, you just do it because that's what you do. So the same thing is like, if you feel like you're in the wilderness of your existence and you're lost and lonely and freaked out, you could either try to figure it out, which most people already have, uh, tried to figure it out, or you could just go, could you please help me? Help will be forthcoming. So having done both things, I did one thing for half my life, and now I've been doing this other thing for the uh, second half of my life. A didn't work, B works just fine. Mm. So I'll use B. And you, anybody can call it anything they want. I don't care. It no. will let you know if it doesn't like to be called whatever it is you're calling it. Yeah, that's, that's good. I, I use... I've used A a lot and sometimes I use B and then I try to go back and experiment with A again. And I keep finding it doesn't work all too well. I keep getting lost. And you'd think that I would have learned something better about that by now. Well put, because to me it's just like, it's almost like, you know, we're in a, we're in a spiral. Like what healing is, what we call healing is basically a spiral. It's all movement. So when we move, we seem to be going around in a circle and we come back to this door that we walk through 10,000 times and we knock on the door and also realize there's no door. There's just a wall there. You know, you reach down for the knob and there's no knob. It got moved. Well, let's say it only moved over three feet, but it's still not there anymore. And we get a little panicky because we knew where that door was. We were in charge. We could open that door and, you know, open the door to our own heaven or our own hell. But the truth is it moved because that's what happens. You know, we have forward movement. That's what God gave human beings. You know, there's other forms of time and space, but all we're really aware of is the fact that there's this moment and there will be another moment and there has been a previous moment. So it's like, these are, these are the constraints that human beings have. So, you know, the medicines are transdimensional and they don't really exist in time per se, but they're happy to pretend that they do so that we can move forward because they understand that's the help that we need. If we're mm -hmm. stuck, no change occurs. We can never get to where we want to go, which is the better.
We're all looking for what's better than this. You know, I'm not just talking about goods and services. I'm talking about how can I feel better about my life, about this thing that I've been given that I do not understand at all. You know, how can I understand, how can I feel good about my place in the universe or in creation? It's like, that's a good question. And that's a prayer. Help me to feel good about my place in creation. Because you can make up a lot of stuff why you don't feel good. Yeah. That's so, yeah. Very much a habit of mine, I've noticed. I'll see if I can <laughs> ask to have that one removed. It's not, <laughs> it's not working so well. Yeah. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask was in relationship to how the medicine then communicates back to you. Like, how does it, is there a way that you could describe it? Um, like, does it speak in a specific language or is it just events taking place? Or is, is there anything you could say um, about that? Because sometimes I notice there's like, there's things come up and it's almost like, is this an intuition or is this, something from the heart or is this just a thought and then I get lost in like a, a train of or a loop of thinking about this thing and I'm never quite sure is this the medicine speaking or is this something else or like where am I in all of this mm -hmm. yeah um, you know you just you get information from medicine and sometimes it's something that resonates with something that maybe you read before or you heard before or you felt before and it's almost like it's it is a resonance and it's also quite often a, a corroboration of something that maybe you've felt in your heart. And, mm. you know, the information is always something that you kind of know already. It's never new material. It's something you kind of know, but you know, if you kind of know, for instance, that, that your life is a mystery and it's a blessing, you can feel blessing as opposed to think blessing so mm. the medicine allows you to feel the blessing. So somebody said, what's, what is, what is that like? You can't really explain it. It's just something that you feel. If you're in a room full of people and everybody is taking medicine, which is pretty much what we have in the ceremonies we run, it's like, what is, is everybody's a mirror for you and you're looking for the otherness that we all look for in people that we don't know. And medicine makes it so we don't feel other than anybody we just feel as though we're safe we feel as though we're at peace we feel as though what we're looking at irregardless of who we're looking at male female gender age you know preferences whatever it doesn't matter it's like the prayer that they are carrying around with them is the human being prayer and we all are facets of that and so it it just breaks down the idea of otherness and breaking down the idea of otherness creates peace. It's like if, if you're not other, if, if anybody in a room with you is reflecting something that you feel inside your heart that is a peaceful thing, then you can't perceive of them as other because other means they're threatening you in some way, shape, or form. Right, yeah. It's not. And so as time goes by, if you do that a thousand times, you're going to get really used to people not being other than you. You're going to get used to people... Uh, as being reflections of you and uh, positive reflections of you and the ones who aren't you just they're not your business you know they're somebody else's business they're looking for all the people that want to reflect to them something that they don't like about themselves so they can do that we can we manifest these things for ourselves so you know it's like it changes reality but in not in an abstract way in a very concrete way one starts to become attracted 
to reflections that help us to heal in the direction we want to heal towards the future. And for other people, they don't want that reflection. They want the reflection of them being right about something. So we're choosing our reflection all the time. Something to kind of justify the story that they might be actuating. And if you if you feel lost, which quite often sometimes you know medicine's very impactful, as gentle as it can be, or as powerful as it can be, it's not telling us something that's horrible. It's telling us something that's really good news. Mm. It's frightening. It's like, but what if you know? What if all there is to do is love and be kind with one another, and be helpful and relevant in each other's lives, and let go of these trivial egoistic things that we're doing, which are designed to protect us from love. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, what happens if we let go? Well, that's scary. And when that's scary, that's when we're banging on that door, trying to reopen the door, you know, like existential questions, you know, why am I here? How come I have to be here? How come I have to do this? How come I have to do that? There's no answers to those questions because they're not even questions. You know, God or whatever you want to call is not asking those questions. It's like, you're here, do your job. What's my job? So once you understand what your job is, which the medicine pretty plainly shows you, it's like you're here to love and be loved. It's like that's the deal. The rest of this stuff is work. So, you know, uh, we're, we're shifting off of thousands of years paradigm of people believing that their value is their work when their value is how well they give and receive love. Right. This medicine's only truth. So it's like, that's pretty scary when people have based their entire lives around how well they did their work, whether it's art or music or writing or running a country or whatever, all that stuff. It it doesn't matter. The only thing that will be remembered is how kind and how loving you were. Mm, That's interesting. I think I was actually going to come around to this and read you back something that I read in your book about that specifically. It was uh, once once you know who you are, and why you're here, the choices and decisions that, that seemed impossible become flat, dry stones. You can use to cross the river. Confusion disappears. Paradox and duality no longer exist. Um, and I, I thought that was really, it was really good at capturing, I don't know, something about it kind of touched uh, me. And I had some thoughts about that. I was wondering how... How then do you, uh, because there's, there's one, it seems like there's one general prayer or one general purpose, which is how much you can love and be loved and like to keep opening up into that. Is there any, is it, do you, is it something like people have a, an individual purpose to go off and, and do as well? Or is it, is it more this kind of general, how much you can love and be loved? Well, you know, yes. The answer would be yes. So everybody is like a fractal of the prayer of humanity. We're like, uh, you know, human beings are like coral as far as the medicine is concerned. I'm talking about the specifically the San Pedro medicine or Wachuma. It, it says, you know, you, you are all like coral, but you're interdependent. So it's like mm-hmm. each one of you is necessary. You're really, really important because whatever it is you're doing, that's your part. So when you're young, which is what you are, it's like you trying to, but what is my part? I'm not quite sure what my part is. The process of discovering and exploring what your part might be is your life. That's your journey. Okay, right. when you find out what it is, all you're going to want to do is get better at it because you like it. You see what I'm saying? It's just like anything else you like. 
you know, as you play music, it's just like, you're not going to be satisfied if your clarinet sound sucks, you know, you don't want to practice so that you can be better at it. And then that's what people mean when they talk about their spiritual practice. Spiritual practice is not something you're demonstrating for other people. It's something you're doing for yourself because you're tuning your instrument. You've discovered, oh, I'm an oboe, you know, or I'm a, I'm a set of traps or I'm a this or I'm a, you know, it's like, and you're just, you're honing your skill. And it isn't how well you play. It's how well you do your deal. So mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's like some people can play a guitar left-handed. Not a problem. Jimi Hendrix did just fine. He played the guitar backwards, taught himself how to do that. It's like, that's kind of the way we all are. You know, we're, we're holding our instruments like this. It, it doesn't matter. It's like, it's the music that counts. So what we're looking at is, no, it's how we're doing this. It's like, no, how we're doing it is about our heart, our good heart, our good mind, our good intentions. You know, but how the form that we're using, it doesn't really matter. Whatever you do, you could lay bricks, you could travel around the world, you could run centers, you could not run centers, you know, you can drive a cab. You're part of it. You're not, you're not apart from it. And mm. so the ego identification, the stuff we have, like, you know, we have influencers on Instagram and they're showing people how they think they ought to be. And people get very upset about that because nobody looks like that or talks like that, including the people who are doing it. It's like, they're just, it's just a show, you know, and no offense to them whatsoever. But it's like, if everybody understood that they're just as important as everybody else and that the people who are doing that stuff are just enjoying themselves. It's like, that's what they're doing to enjoy themselves. Maybe it will lead them to greater fulfillment and happiness and more love, but maybe it won't. Maybe it will show them that they could be more loving and less judgmental. You know, mm. I don't know, but it's their path. So we respect all paths. It's not necessary. We're not, nobody's better than anybody else. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. You know, in Red Road, which is the medicine that we're talking about, there's no, there's no leaders. I mean, they're facilitators, but it's, it's a custodial function. You know, you have something, you carry it around for other people, you offer it to them in a good way, you clean it up and put it away when everything's done, you treat people in a really nice way. It's like a parental custodial responsibility. You don't own people's lives, nor do you tell anybody what to do. That's for them to figure out. But the information that you're offering to them is really what creator or creation or the choral mass has to tell them about themselves, and and they will get it. You know, trusting medicine is that people are listening. If they if they weren't listening, if they didn't want to listen, they wouldn't show up. If they you know, they're showing up, they're doing something that's weird. You know, it's mm-hmm. not normal to sit there for eight to thirteen hours with your body full of medicine, listening to something talk to you when you don't have any idea what the hell's going on. But at the end of it, everybody goes, "Oh my God, I feel so much better." It's like, right, <laughs> right. It's like nobody can explain how it works, but it works. Yeah, it's like a very phenomenological mm-hmm. approach. It's like, here's the thing that works, and so keep doing the thing that works. Yeah, do the thing that works, and the things that don't work, consider maybe not doing them. <laughs> yeah. The medicine is not mad at you because you're doing stuff. It just <laughs> works for you. It isn't like that. It's never mad at anybody about anything. It's just there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you go, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, well, let me tell you something, you know, the way I was. I was raised in my family, but people say this stuff all the time. It's like, who cares? You know, who cares? This is this, this is now, right? What are you going to do? So, you know, the, the fun, the funny thing to say is, yeah, how's that working out for you? But the truth is that's the question we're asking ourselves. It's like, wait a minute, I've been doing this for 20 years. How's this working out for me? 
it's not working out or you wouldn't be asking the question, right? You're answering your own question. So you don't need a therapist or a medicine man or anybody to ask you those questions, but they'll do it for you anyways because they're there. See what I'm saying? They'll go, they'll wait for you to say, how's this working out for me? And if you don't, they'll go, uh, how's that working out for you? You see what I'm saying? It's just like, that's what, that's the job. Yeah. So that's the way we are with each other. We're not pulling each other apart or telling people what to do or punishing people or, you know, it's, Oh, you're, you know, you're enlightened. You got the whole thing. There's no such thing. It's not, it's not going to happen. We're all stressed out by the exigencies of our lives. It's like mm-hmm. how quickly can we recover from the disturbances and return to the love? Because that's what we like. Yeah. So once you get you like the love, like you're saying, it's really hard to go back and pound on that door to get the not love. You know, it's like, is there any more not love in there? There's an infinite amount of not love. You can have as much as you want, but you don't want it. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, well, one of the things that, I, that I've noticed is there's, there seems to be so much anxiety around at the minute. Like so many of, of my friends are struggling with anxiety and depression and they're carrying around, hey, including myself, carrying around this kind of this burden of shame or guilt for all of these things that you, that you did in the past, all these ways that you were maybe confused about something. And it's like what I hear you saying in there, that it's just, it's not necessary to carry those things. Um, and there's something very simple about the way that you deliver it. Uh, it's, it's like, you can just kind of ask for a different way of thinking or something different to happen. So you don't need to carry around this kind of burden of shame or guilt or depression or get lost in this anxiety anymore. Well, you, you, you don't need to because it's, it's not real. It's just something you made up, you know? So if you're afraid of your life, which most people are and justifiably so it's really scary. We don't know what the hell's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to, the hell's going to happen. You know, some of us have a lot of privilege and we can, uh, we can, you know, say, oh, well, if I do this, this, and this, then this will happen. But that's not true. You know, across history, we've seen millions and millions of people displaced when they thought that they were extremely secure and safe in whatever environment they were. That's just not true. That's an illusion. But it's okay because, you know, as, as my, I have an older daughter who's, my favorite line of hers was uh, denial is the strongest force in the universe, which I think is hilarious because if we didn't have denial, we couldn't even get to tomorrow. You see what I'm saying? It's like anxiety is a recognition that we don't know what the hell's going to happen. Right. Okay. So you can either go, Oh my God, I don't know what the hell's going to happen. Or you could go, you know what? I don't have any idea what's going to happen. You see what I'm saying? It's like, It's energy. It has nothing to do with the statement. It's like, oh my God, what's going to happen to my kids? It's like, right. Boy, I have no idea what's going to happen to my kids. You yeah. see what I'm saying? It's like, it comes from a completely is, different place. Completely different place. It's like the good news is like, oh my God, the future is unknowable. It's like, wow, the good news is the future is unknowable. Mm-hmm. We cannot know. So, you know, when you... The, the generation that you're a part of has a lot of anxiety because there's way too much information about what one, what is actually really going on. Okay. Right. And two, what could conceivably happen? So the good news is, is what is actually going on is there's more love in the world being expressed and received than there ever has ever in the history of humanity. 
It's just everywhere. Hmm. And the bad news is we still don't know what the hell is going to happen. We have no idea what's going to happen. We could blow ourselves up in a fit of love, you know, and it's like, how do we know that's a bad end? I don't know. So, you know, when, when you understand it's like all the bad news is the good news. Hmm. Not knowing is the best news. So for medicine people, the not knowing is the happy place. Mm. For people who are, it, spend a lot of time in their head, that's the bad place. Oh my God, I don't know what will happen if such and such. It's like me neither. You know, wow, let's just wait and see what happens. So in this moment, you're breathing, you have an inhale, you have an exhale, you're present. Nothing bad is happening to you in this moment, not observably. So you could just say thank you. Mm. The next moment when something's bad, you could just say, wow, this is really scary. Could you help me? And do that little experiment because anxiety isn't, it's infinite. You, you know, how can you stop it? Because mm. you stop being anxious about one thing. There's more stuff to be anxious about because there's an illimitable future. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I the think good news is there's an illimitable future. The bad news is we don't know what's going to happen in it. Yeah. Well, I think that's what kind of leads uh, people to want to try to cling to things. It's like anxiety is as terrible as it feels, at least it's like, well, at least I, what's this expression, better the devil you know than the one you don't. It's like I'll, I'll cling to anxiety or I'll cling to guilt or I'll cling to depression or shame or any of these things because at least I know that that's bad. Like, and the unknown is way more terrifying or at least that's the way that I'm perceiving it. Yeah, the unknown's empty. So, mm. you know, if you, if you have medicine, what the medicine's going to show you is empty is good. You like it because there's nothing in it, right? It's like once something in it, you could put something in it. You know, you could say, wow, this is really interesting. Do you see what I'm saying? Instead of, oh my God, I don't know what's going on. So it's like you become in charge of this emptiness that you created yourself by asking for everything that's not serving you to go away for a little while, which it does. It just goes away. Where does it go? I don't know. It goes to the place where all the stuff that we don't need goes. You know, it's like a, <laughs> The attic, right? It's the place where we make nightmares and foolishness and imagination and fantasy. You know, it's, it's right there. You can go get it anytime you want to. It's mm -hmm. not going to get hidden from you. You, know, you. you will not be lost. But if you don't want it, you could go and look at that steaming pile and you could go, uh, not right now. It's too much work. It's <laughs> a lot of work. Wow. Fantastic. Words of wisdom from George there. Don't go back to that steaming pile of thoughts. You don't need to go back there. You don't have to pick it up. Leave it in the place that it goes where you don't need to go and pick it up again. I still feel compelled to go back there sometimes. I don't know why that is. I guess that's part of my journey, but praying for more strength to not do that. Not do the things that are not love. I think it's going to be fine. So part two of this is coming up next week. Stay tuned into whatever you whatever you tune into but this will be here next week if you're tuned then it will tune with you thanks again for listening see you later perception architecture radio